What's up, everyone? This is James Watkins once again with the Five Solas Podcast. We are in the home stretch of our series on Tulip. We've gotten through the T, the U, and the L, and today we are moving into the I, Irresistible Grace. Joining me for this discussion is the same voice from last week on Limited Atonement, the great master, almost Dr. Good Reverend Frank Mullis. How's it going, Frank? I'm doing well. So we are. Hey, James. Happy Easter. It is Easter. We it's are, Resurrection Day. It is Resurrection Day. He we, is risen. It is risen indeed. Uh, so, yes, we are recording this on Easter Sunday. We are all dressed up. Just got done with the sunrise service. Had a nice breakfast, too. It wasn't too yeah, bad. Yeah, the sausages were really good. Yeah, is that really the only reason we go, right? Yeah, this morning it was. <laughs> <laughs> so, Frank, this week we are coming to another point within Tulip that is very important theologically. But when I was looking for guests for this particular point, there was no one that really jumped out. Yeah, Tom this, Price was too busy. Yeah, Tom Price was way too busy. I guess that's the Reform Pugcast. He's getting a little bit too uh, too big for for us little guys. He, he's 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 Oxford. He is Oxford. What what other what other school was it? Uh, Duke. Oxford and Duke. I literally have to have a dictionary handy whenever the guy is saying anything. But when I was looking for guests for this particular point, there was no one that really jumped at this one. Plenty wanted to discuss total depravity, unconditional election, or limited atonement, even perseverance of the saints. But really, no one wanted to talk about poor, irresistible grace. It's almost like it was a forgotten point. So we nobody are, could resist it, huh? Yeah, nobody could. <laughs> well, a lot of people were resisting it. <laughs> Apparently, there was a ton of resistance. So, Frank, this particular point, like I said, is very deep theologically, per- perhaps more deep than people really think, because we have to get Would to— Would you say they're at the bottom of the uh, pond, or are they somewhere—are they floating, or are they dead in the pond? What they're a little dead in the pond. They're dead? So they're, they're at the bottom? <laughs> yeah, they're completely you mean they're at not the bottom. Reach, you mean they're not reaching up for, for help? No, they're not. We're not they, we, we can't toss the, uh, the lifesaver out to them. Uh, yeah, is it— <laughs> But they're, but they're saying, please send me a lifesaver. Yeah, please send me a lifesaver. They're completely submerged in water, but they can talk. Uh, and dead on top of that. But we really have to, in this particular teaching of irresistible grace, or as I prefer, effectual calling, we really have to dive into a number of different doctrines, such as the doctrine of regeneration, monergism versus synergism, the changing of our spiritual disposition, the will of God. That's a big one. Perhaps very, very difficult Woo- one. How about wooing? The wooing, we yeah. Gotta, we got to have the wooing. Yeah, God, please. Woo. <laughs> so we have to get into the will of God on this, where this doctrine actually, I would say, originates from, and of course, some objections and misrepresentations of this teaching. So to get us started, Frank, can you give us a definition of what irresistible grace is? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to the Westminster Confession of Faith, I think. A Baptist going to the mm. Westminster. Yeah, well, Presbyterians have some things, right? <laughs> All those who God has predestined to life and those only, he is pleased, he is appointed, and accepted time effectually to call by his word, which is spirit, and I'm sorry, by his word and his spirit out of the state of sin and death in which they are by nature to grace and salvation by Jesus Christ, enlightening their minds spiritually and savingly to understand the things of God, taking away their heart of stone and giving unto them a heart of flesh, renewing their wills and by his almighty power, determining them to that which is good and effectually drawing them to Jesus Christ. Yet so as they come most freely being made willingly by his grace. Ah, so there was a key word right there, willingly. So just uh kind of to kind of tie it together, uh, how does exactly 
the teaching of irresistible grace, how does that flow from the teachings of total depravity, unconditional election, and limited atonement? Well, first and foremost, if we are dead in our trespasses and sin, there is nothing in us that wants to come to Christ. There, there is no desire. Our desire is for the world. Our desire is for uh, the devil. And our desire is against God. We're by children, you know, by nature, children of wrath. We are enemies of God. So there, there's nothing in us that wants God. We just want to sin and have a good time, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. That is, that is what we are. And so it took God the Father uh, predestining some to eternal life to send his son who died for those elect and those elect all that the father has given him will come. Right. And so that leads us to irresistible grace. Right. So let's discuss a uh, misrepresentation that really quick. Um, this goes back to within the definition that you said that we come most freely being made willing by his grace. Uh, so I think really the most common misrepresentation that we get for this particular point, is that this is divine rape, so to speak. That, That's what Jonathan Edwards said. You want to argue against Jonathan Edwards, go right away. <laughs> it's the holy raping of the soul is what he called it. So I guess, the, I guess the question is, because what this really goes back to is that there does seem to be a theme within, within Scripture that we do resist God's grace. Yeah, let's, let's quote Sproul from Grace Unknown. Irresistible grace is not irresistible in the sense that sinners are incapable of resisting it. That's all they do. Yeah, right. <laughs> so though the sinners are spiritually dead, he remains biologically alive and kicking. And that was the argument that Norman Geisler made to me. He's like, well, if they're dead, where well, they sure are uh, walking around uh, alive and kicking. But Scripture suggests the sinner always resists the Holy Spirit. So that that's the issue is it's only irresistible to the elect. Right. That's really what, what we mean by irresistible. And, and that's why the term effectual. Yeah, I think is a is a better. It effectively brings or draws, uh, actually drags is the word. Right. That, that's. I, let me get my bad uh, Greek here. Eleko, I believe, or Eleko <laughs> is is the word uh, for. You for did the, say it took you three times, right? Yeah, it took me three times. But but that's that's the word. It is 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 to drag. He doesn't woo you. Woo. Yeah. Woo. <laughs> All right, Ric Flair. Yeah. Woo. <laughs> going to do Ric Flair? It's got to be woo. So. It basically, as Sproul says, irresistible grace means that the sinner's resistance to the grace of regeneration cannot thwart God's plan and purpose. Well, so it almost sounds like God is sovereign in this. Well, it, it goes on to it goes on to say it's not that it's merely irresistible; that it's really invincible. Right. Grace. And that's really a good way to put it. So uh, on this particular point here, I'm in agreement with R.C., which is kind of a good place to be, I guess, <clears throat> is that I do prefer the terminology of effectual calling. I think that represents the Do you know he believes in believer's baptism now? Really? <laughs> <laughs> somebody, no, seriously, somebody went on his Wikipedia page. <laughs> Somebody went to R.C. Sproul's Wikipedia page and changed now that he now believes in believer, believer's baptism. You know, and I'm going to leave this in here because here's the thing is if R.C. were still around, that sounds like something John MacArthur would say to him and he would get choked, he would laugh about it. So I'm sure that he would appreciate the, the humor in that. So, folks, okay, we have a definition in place right now, so we are going to take a quick break and we will be right back with you. Hey, I'm Daryl, and I'm here with my wife, Karen. What's up? And we're the hosts of the What Are We Even Doing Here podcast. 
the podcast that seeks to answer the question that we all asked, what are we even doing here? We cover topics such as marriage, family, life, and living a Christian life in this crazy world. We don't have all the answers, but we know where to look. Subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on SoundCloud as we seek the kingdom of God and find out what we are even doing here. Grace and peace. All right, everyone. Welcome back to the Five Souls Podcast. This is James Watkins, still here with Frank Mullis on the teaching of irresistible grace. So to get us started here, I do want to read a quote given by Wayne Grudem in his uh, Systematic Theology, an introduction to biblical doctrine. Irresistible grace is a term that refers to the fact that God effectively calls people and also gives them regeneration, both of which guarantee that we will respond in saving faith. This term is subject to misunderstanding since it seems to imply that people do not make a voluntary, willing choice in responding to the gospel. So, Frank, I want to move a little bit more into the synergistic versus monergistic view of this. Is this a work that is completely of God alone, or is this a cooperative act between God and man? Well, the Armenian view, obviously, it is a, a cooperative view in that you know, I heard someone say this past week uh, in a sermon. Unfortunately, is that you're lying on the you're lying on the uh, railroad track and the train is coming and Jesus is standing over you and you have to ask Jesus to pick you up off the tracks to right. uh, to save yeah. you. And you sent that in a little Facebook group that we that yeah, we have. And um, you know, look, the the problem is. You're dead on the railroad tracks. Right. You're not alive on the railroad tracks. That that's the problem with the synergistic view is assuming that you're capable of making or wanting. And here's the thing: if you do want, guess what? You're of the elect. Right. Right. <laughs> that that's what nobody gets is is that dead people who are lost in their sins they hate God. So why are they yeah. wanting to be saved? Yeah. You know, if they're wanting to be saved, then they are going to be saved. Right. Uh, that's that's the issue. So monergism is. A cooperation is not part of this. There is no cooperation in the monergistic view in that its efficacy lies in God himself to save us. Right. Well, I mean, based upon our spiritual condition, there can't be any kind of cooperative act of us. Yeah, we can't. We can't. There's nothing we can do. Then then is of works, lest any man should boast, right? Right. So there's nothing to, that we can do to make it effective. It's an effective working of the Holy Spirit by himself. Right, and I, and I really think that this kind of goes, our spiritual disposition here is, this kind of goes back to maybe a confusion. You're talking about the uh, the train tracks. You're talking about throwing a lifesaver out to people. Is that there is a vast difference in someone who is physically alive, as you and I are right here. I think we are anyways. I mean, can we know that for sure? As opposed to being spiritually dead, there is a... Right very big distinction that has to be made there where physically alive, I mean, obviously we're capable of doing things, making choices, et cetera, but the spiritual disposition. Well, it's, it's true. We, we make a choice to reject God. Right. Right. And it's, it's a very willing decision. But on the other end, there's nothing we can do to make the spirit ineffective in his call to us either. Right. We can, we look, we're turning and running from God, right? In, in, in one sense, we're, we're running from God. You know, is is it we're running from him because we don't want him to save us? Is is we really don't care? I mean, that's the thing. We don't care about the things of God, right? You know, I mean, that's look. Well, we can't care. We can't yeah, accept we, it we have, Yeah, you listen to you listen to the atheist. You just listen to worldly people. Worldly people are not going to want the things of God. 
Right. Well, that goes back to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians, that the natural man cannot accept the things of the Spirit of God, not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. Now, this uh, also does go back to uh, John 6, 44. We were talking about that dragging. John 6, 44, and this really goes back to our need for this effectual calling that no one can come to me. There's your spiritual disposition. No one can. That's our total inability unless the Father who sent me draws him. And that is where we move into the need for the irresistible grace. So I do want to kind of give a couple of verses here really quick that do speak of God's irresistible grace. James 1.18, In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. John 5.21, For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom he will. So, Frank, let's move into a little bit of the history of this teaching. Let's uh, let's look at the historical view of ir- irresistible grace. Yeah, I read this this article in Table Talk magazine. Uh, it's from June of 2002 that really speaks of the rise of Armenian, you know, Armenian theology obviously arose in the church. We, you know, we're, we deal with the death of Notre Dame burning uh, this week, and there's been a lot of articles on, on Notre Dame. Um, a lot of memes of uh, Quasimodo lately. Quasimodo, well. yeah, Quasimodo. And, you know, we think of Notre Dame and what the, the Catholic Church has corrupted, what biblical theology was in regards to salvation. One of the, you know, for me, the burning of, of Notre Dame, you know, is a historical place. Right. Um, beautiful is, place. Is beautiful significance in Western culture, Western thought. I'm not, I'm not, um, in, in one sense, you know, we, we see the uh, idolatry associated with it. We see mm. the false gospel associated with it. But one of the things about the burning of any of the, the landmarks, of Christianity. We lose we lose a little bit of it. What I've noticed is is that nobody's talked about the martyrs that were burned right. uh near Notre Dame right. in a long time. Unless you sit in a church history class and suddenly suddenly people are, are reminding us of the martyrs, the Huguenots yeah. that were, were burned and the and the Protestants were burned. That's why those landmarks are important is that you can point to your children and your children can point to that and say, yeah. This is why we are Protestants. Right. And and then that church is a reminder of that. And it being gone, then maybe people will forget even about those martyrs. So the Middle Ages, you know, the church had come to be more dominated by leaders that elevated human ability above God. Right. And, and Seems to be a common theme. Yeah. And these leaders, they didn't de- deny the necessity of grace, as this writer says, but taught the human factor was essential for making grace effective. And what's interesting is that is the vast majority of churches today is that we say a prayer in this magical formula. This prayer saves us. You, you got to really mean yeah. it. And you, and if you, you, and if you wave, uh, raise your hand in the very back. And, and raise and we sing you know twenty verses of just as I am. That's all part of the formula. But the Reformation recovered the biblical view and the purity of of grace. And Christianity saw the renewing of God's grace not being dependent upon human means, but it was grace alone. And, and that really goes back to the the reformers' push for sola scriptura is is that it really went back to the sufficiency of scripture. Yeah, 
And and look, it, we we go back to the reformers didn't realize you know realize they weren't the first to really point it. Augustine, you know, pointed to it. What this didn't come about in the sixteen hundreds. <laughs> you know, Augustine, uh, you know, he he is the is is preaching uh, predestination way back when. But though the medieval church moved Paul away, did too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I've heard Augustine's doctrine of grace had moved away from the medieval church had moved away from that, and many of the leading theologians in the Middle Ages started looking toward a synergistic view of salvation. Mm -hmm. And so the Reformation is going to recapture it. And we think about the magisterial reformers stood for salvation by grace alone. And that's where where we stand in that is we look uh, to salvation by grace alone and and irresistible grace really ties that together. That is that is grace alone. Right. Okay, so Frank, if we're if we're looking at the doctrine of irresistible grace, I mean this, like you said, this isn't some this isn't a new teaching that just arose in within the 1600s. I mean this goes way back when. I mean of course we're going to say that the apostles <laughs> made the argument within scripture, yeah. which they do, but this was also something that was brought up within uh, within Dort. Right. right. Well, John Calvin, you know, said basically is that grace was planned from eternity, flowed from the death of Christ, and was applied irresistibly to the elect by the Holy Spirit. In his Genevan uh, Catechism, he says, I mean that the Spirit of God, while he dwelt in our hearts, operates so that we feel the power of Christ. And of course, you know, when we get to the the, the Synod of Dort, which is a rejection of Jacob Arminius, uh, his claims, it, here's, what, here's what it says in Article 11. But when God accomplishes his good pleasure in the elect, or works in them true conversion, he not only causes the gospel to be externally preached to them and powerfully illuminates their mind by his Holy Spirit that they may rightly understand and discern the things of the Spirit of God. He also, by the efficacy of the same regenerating spirit, pervades the inmost recesses of man. He opens what was closed and softens the hardened heart and circumcises that which was uncircumcised. He infuses new qualities into the will which, through previ- though previously dead, he now makes alive. From being evil, disobedient, and refractory, he renders the will good, obedient, and pliable. He actuates and strengthens it that, like a good tree, it may bring forth the fruits of good actions. When we think about regeneration, we only, a lot of times, think about the heart, the heart of stone being right. being made, made into flesh. But really, repentance is the changing of the mind. Right. And you and I have had a lot of discussion on this recently right. about our... Is, is the changing of the mind. That, mm-hmm. is, that is repentance. And that's why, you know, when we talk about regeneration, repentance is always connected to regeneration. Right, it's not separate. Yeah, it's not separated. And so when we, we look at the next article, the 12th expands on these uh, themes showing how supernatural and powerful the work of regeneration, how delightful the enlivening it is to those who are received that irresistible grace is. Listen to this. And this is that regeneration which Scripture so highly extols, namely the renewal, new creation, resurrection from the dead, making alive, which God works in us without our aid. Wow. So he doesn't need almighty man to accomplish his will. So how about this? But this regeneration is no way effective merely by the external preachers of the gospel or by moral cessation or the kind of work where after God has performed his part, it still remains in the power of man to be regenerated or not or to be conformed or to continue unconverted. Rather, it is evidently a supernatural work, most powerful and at the same time, most delightful, astonishing, mysterious, and ineffable. Here's here's the thing that, that I love about this is that I have heard so many times that 
as a preacher, I'm responsible for everyone's salvation. Really? <laughs> I, I know people who witness, who believe that the gospel, it is the power of salvation. It's the preaching. Obviously, the preaching is connected, but it's not the preacher. Right. It's the gospel. It is. It's the gospel that brings about in the elect, right, the hearing. Faith comes by hearing. hearing. And so it is the Holy Spirit who is acting within himself to the elect. And so as we preach, we can preach stupidly (laughs) as long as we are preaching the word. It doesn't return void. It doesn't return void, right. you know. And and so, and this this is my argument. This is why, and and dare I say, there are some Catholics who are saved in spite of the church. And what I mean is, is that when the priest reads God's the God, word, God's word, yeah. it is possible for there to be elect in that congregation. Well, I would make the argument that that's what happened with me. I would make the <laughs> argument that that's what happened with Martin Luther. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, and, and John Calvin. Yeah, I would absolutely agree with it. So, I mean, it just really goes back to, again, the sufficiency of Scripture and the understanding that God's Word does the work of God. Yes. And, and, and again, it's the Holy Spirit's power right. that is irresistible. Right. So speaking of Martin Luther, it's obvious that he was very influential as far as the Protestant Reformation goes, uh, especially in regards to bringing very much needed attention to the five solas, which would be by grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. So what we are doing with the five solas podcast, if you notice on the Facebook page, I made an announcement that we were merging Grace Alone Witness Apparel on the Five Souls podcast. And in doing so, I just, if you look at our Facebook page right now, I have released pictures of it, uh, but we are going to be releasing soon gospel tracks that actually are with the Five Souls of the Protestant Reformation. So be on the lookout for that. So, Frank, let's move a little bit more into the theology behind Irresistible Grace. We'll go back to uh, Sproul, because I think Sproul is probably the one who really put forth in great, you know, in his, in his book, Grace Unknown, obviously chosen by God's another one yeah. that really brought to many people the doctrines of grace, at least on a lay level, at least for myself. Yeah. And, and I don't think many people haven't read in the Reformed camp, has not read those two books, Chosen by God and, and Grace. Well, I think that they are actually, uh, some seminaries are putting it into their required reading, especially Holiness yeah. of God. I'm not sure about Chosen by God, right. but Holiness uh, of God, definitely. Well, regeneration literally means to birth again. And, and the concept that uh, rests upon Scripture's teaching concerning rebirth or being born anew, his idea expressed as, he says, uh, Paul's concern of quickening, and then that's the issue is, are you dead and how dead are you? And and Jesus emphatically and unambiguously taught that regeneration is a necessary conviction for seeing and entering the kingdom of God. It's John essential. Three. Yeah, it's the, it's the new birth to be born again. Nicodemus came to him by night. And what's interesting is Nicodemus said, we know that you are a teacher sent by God because no one can do the miracles that you are doing. So look, guess what? The miracles were seen by the Pharisees and Sadducees, and they still what? Denied him. They, they still denied him. So miracles are not the necessary condition. No, well, I mean that that goes belief. to the, that goes to the rich man and Lazarus, yeah. where he said, "Well, even if they were to rise from the dead, you still wouldn't believe." Yeah, and most most Christians agree that regeneration is necessary for salvation. Really, the debate, it's as the Sproul order. said, yeah, is 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 that which which is it? You know, semi Pelagians teach that the order is that uh, regeneration one must first have faith, and this is the debate which comes. 
first, the chicken or the egg? Right. <laughs> is it faith or regeneration? Regeneration or faith it is clear, at least logically. Mm-hmm. And so, and I'll just throw out Andrew Rappaport's name here, because <laughs> uh, he and I debated this for two hours, and we were essentially... You were able to talk with him for that long without falling asleep? <laughs> I was driving, so I was risking oh. my life. Um, <laughs> but no, I mean, he and I, we really discussed this, and um, Andrew is is very scripturally oriented. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, and we went back and forth. And I think the issue with me and him was a, was a temporal versus logical right. order. And I think he, I was argu- arguing more logical and he was arguing temporal. And I would agree with him temporally. And we'll talk about that in just a, in just a moment. And the regeneration res- rest upon a prior response to faith is problematic. It is. It almost, it almost becomes a work at that point that, uh, I mean, number one is faith is ple- faith would be something that is pleasing to God that we are doing within the natural man. Look, it's either monogism or synergism. Mm-hmm. And, 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 that, and that's the issue is that those who reject the offer of grace remain un- unregenerate and perish in their sins. We know that. Right. If you're not regenerated, you're not going to have faith. And you if you don't have faith, you're not regenerated. Right? right. So either either way. But basically, the issue is, is that God monergistically brings to pass his working along the regeneration of our hearts. Right. Think about it. I mean, what did Lazarus do to be raised from the dead? Absolutely nothing. But whenever he was called, he had no other choice but to come forward. Yeah. And, he, and Lazarus come forth. And guess what he did? Now, nah, let me think about it. Yeah, my free will. <laughs> I mean, he didn't. And, you know, what's interesting, one of my professors in seminary, you know, he, he looked at and, he, you know, he says, Jesus raised a, raised a few people from the dead, did he not? Mm-hmm. You know, the widow Nan's son, you, you have... I believe uh, Peter's uh, mother. I mean, there were just several, uh, several little girl that was there. So, and each one of them were dead certain periods of time. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Lazarus the longest. Right. And here's what he said: How much power did it take to raise one who had been dead a few hours versus one who had been dead several days? Well, it wasn't much power <laughs> at all. Well, per God, it was. It wasn't. It wasn't. But but it's, it's, is it any different if you've been dead a little bit or dead along, right? And so and and that's that's the issue with it is that it takes the power of God. If you're dead, you're dead. You know, I made I made an argument against someone the other day who was saying that cremation is not biblical. We shouldn't be cremated. I was like, well, God, can God not still raise us once we're cremated? I feel sorry for all those people on those battleships. I'm telling you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, in the seas and in the seas, what do you think? The ones in and, the seas uh, are, are still whole? And not, let's, let's talk about the martyrs who were burned. Well, well, let's talk uh, about the poor martyrs. Yeah, those poor martyrs. Or, or, or all the people who were decayed, right? I mean, it, to I, dust you shall look, return. I, I've, I, Rosalind is going to have me a sarcophagus, and, and I've got a, a, a crypt <laughs> she's going to uh, have made. I've, I put it in my will. So she, she has to bury me above ground in a, in a nice uh, crypt. Yeah, I, t- I, told, uh, I told one of our deacons at the breakfast earlier, <laughs> I looked at him and I was like, yeah, we've got to build a basement onto the church and his uh, tomb has got to be placed above ground. Yeah, George Whitfield, he's got a uh, he's got a tomb below his pulpit of I think his last <laughs> church. So that's what I want. But we're enslaved to sin. Our hearts are. You know, they're stone. That's what the Bible says. Yeah. So we we go from one to the next. So here, how about this? The axiom of the Reformed theology is that regeneration precedes faith. Rebirth is a necessary precondition of faith. Faith is not possible for spiritually dead creatures. Therefore, we contend that apart from spiritual rebirth, there can be no faith. So when we say irresistible, it has to be effectual. So I want to look, I want to go to some scriptures. Let's go to the scripture. 
that that's really look we can talk theology and and I'll still make this the same argument that I made to Andrew it's not like theology doesn't come from scripture yeah <laughs> you know now do people read their theology in a scripture yes sometimes yes. they obviously do but you have to start with the scripture and and formulate your theology but mm-hmm. again our interpretation methods are based on our theology as right. well so let's talk about John 637 all that the father gives me will come to me and who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. John 637 ties in really well with John 644, which tells us that no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. Right. And and it, look what he says. And I will by no means cast out. So we got perseverance right there right. as as well. And so effectual calling irresistible grace affirm the divine monergism in the initiation of salvation. All that the father gave me, the father gave the elect. He's given them to you. And, and, it, and it goes, will come. It doesn't say might come. Mm-hmm. Will. will come. It's a definite. Yes, it's definite. So salvation is Christ's work applied into God's sovereign act. Let's talk about John 6.44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws drags him. him. <laughs> That's that word again, right? Yeah, that, that draw. Um, the drawing of the Father lies behind our coming to who the Son Draw is like a fishnet ah, fish in net. that context, as we see in John 21, 6. It suggests might, effort, or exertion as to overcome the waves of the ocean. So I've seen, uh, and I brought this up, and I, I think it was the very first episode on Total Depravity, I brought this up. R.C. Sproul in one of his seminary classes, his professor was telling him that it's more along the lines of water being drawn up from the well. And R.C. made the point, well, does the water choose to come up from the well? And can the water come up from the well on its own? Right. It, it, I think in another another thing I heard Sproul say, he says, um, d- does he stand there and go, woo, woo to the water? <laughs> that, <laughs> would, that, that explains the woo at the very beginning. Yeah, yeah. FYI. <laughs> Uh, John six sixty five. Therefore, I've said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my father. So what does that imply? We don't have the ability anyway. Right. right. And, well, I mean, that, that's even in John six forty four. No, no one can applies our complete and total inability. Uh, John six thirty seven. All that the father gives me will come to me. And John six forty five. Everyone who has heard from me, learned from the father comes to me. So again, it is, we are going to, we are called, we are going to come. And guess what? We do it freely. Freely. That's the paradox, right? And uh, I think you can even go to uh, John 1 uh, verses 12 through 13, 13 in particular, where it talks about who were born, speaking of us, not of the blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Well, in case people say we're just being John Johannian biased, let's let's talk about how about Psalm one ten uh, of the prophecy of the Messiah. Your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power. Oh, there's a good. You, you, uh, we can go to First uh, Peter as well. Another one of the blessed uh, apostles. First Peter one verse three. Blessed be God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection, there's that word, it's Easter Sunday, of Jesus Christ from the dead. So if you notice, the theme has been pretty much uh, Trinitarian here. It has been. And, and on the sun here. How about this? We talk about our libertarian free will. Yeah, we, we, we love our libertarian I, I'm free a libertarian will. in politics, just not in my theology. Yeah. So libertarian in this, if the sun makes you free, what? You shall be free indeed. The sun, what makes you yeah. free? You're not free. You're, you don't have your libertarian free will unless the Father gives you 
that, right? You um, know, I had this discussion on, uh, it was on the Striving for Eternity Facebook page. Two different people on there is, I posed a question. I was like, how do you know you are of the elect? How can you know that you were saved? And I had two people just comment on there talking about our free will, uh, that, you know, the limited atonement, unconditional election are complete heresies. And they didn't want to deal with it from a, from a, scriptural basis, which says to me that the libertarian free will is really a presupposition that's already built into fallen man. Well, it's our democratic uh, view of of church, our democratic view of theology, is that we, we vote, <laughs> we vote our salvation, yeah. you know, yeah. we choose him. Which I just quoted Romans 9, and really, and I mean, the, the opposition is always the same. They're on the opposing side of the very argument that Paul is defending in Romans chapter 9. Who are you, O man? Yeah, who are you? Yeah. Uh, you're dead. That's who you yeah. are. Um, how about Matthew eleven twenty seven? Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. So, you know, Nicodemus, you can't see it, <laughs> right? You can't know it. Like the wind. Yeah, it's like the wind. Who can safely know the Father only if the Son chooses to make him known to us. Let's look at this about the spirit. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom. Unless one is born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom. Now, is that speaking of baptism? No, it's not. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's not speaking of baptism. Um, that which is born of the flesh is what, James? Flesh. And that which is born of spirit? It is spirit. Is spirit. That's why you cannot have flying demon babies. <laughs> I just want to make sure we understand that. Yeah, we have we have to tie that in, uh, and, and you know, we're I, I think you and I we're going to do an episode on flying demon babies. Well, so we're going to make a, uh, we're going to make like an intro for it. Yeah, and well, here here's the thing: that which is flesh is flesh, which are humans, and mm-hmm. that which of spirit is spirit, which are the angels. Mm-hmm. That's why there's no giving her you know marriage in heaven, right? Yeah. So the issue is, and and the reason I'm I'm bringing that up with this is that look, your flesh, you're dead. There is nothing spiritual about you. You're spiritually dead. Mm-hmm. And so the only thing that we can give flesh uh, birth to is more flesh. Right. Right. That's it. That's, a lost person is going to produce more lost people. Right. Apart, all, all, because uh, all are going to be born in Adam. Right. All, all are being uh, born in Adam. And, and so here's the, here's the issue. The Nicene Creed, the Lord and the life giver. Well, everyone, we are getting in some really good conversation here. We still have a little bit more to go over, but stay, stay with us, and we're going to take a quick break. Andrew Rappaport's Rap Report is a podcast providing biblical interpretations and applications. It is a ministry of striving for eternity and part of the Christian podcast community. We provide a biblical view of cultural events, discuss how to apply God's word to the Christian life, address issues that concern the church, and we even take some time to offer a correct understanding of those commonly misinterpreted passages of scripture. You will hear from great guests like Justin Peters, Todd Friel, Jay Warren Wallace, and Gabe Hughes. Andrew has the Rap Report Daily, which is a two-minute Monday through Friday podcast, and then the longer Rap Report podcast for more content. Subscribe to both today by searching for Rap Report on any podcast app, spelled R-A-P-P, Report, or click the podcast link at strivingforeternity.org. All right, everyone. Welcome back to the Five Souls Podcast. James still here with the good Reverend Frank Mullis, who's looking very sharp over here on this beautiful Easter Sunday. Much sharper than me, I think. Yeah, my royal blue. Yeah, your royal, royal blue, blue vest and your I, nice I little went, bow tie. I, I went to uh, went to the Arab preacher store. Well, that explains it. it there. All, all the all of the people were there. Uh, all, at least 
all of the uh, people who like to look nice on, yeah. on Easter. Yeah. Uh, just on Easter? Just the, on the, Easter. The, the creasters? Yeah. All right. So let's talk a little bit. Uh, a little bit earlier, we were talking about regeneration preceding faith or faith preceding regeneration. So let's talk about the opposing view okay. to irresistible grace. Is there is there an opposing view? There is an opposing view to it. The Arminian version of it, which, you know, other people who claim not to be Arminians make the same argument as well. But really, in, in that particular view, is faith is going to precede regeneration. Faith is going to be the cause of being born again. And whenever we say regeneration, that's what we're refer- referring to is, is that spiritual disposition being changed into a, into a, a new heart, a new mind, a new, new creature, pretty much. So it, how, how much, like, like we've already said, is that man really plays no part in this. Is that's the synergistic view of, of the doctrine of regeneration. Regeneration comes after faith. It's due to the faith. What are the other views that you've heard? To be honest, is that I, I don't know if there's another view, to be honest. I mean, it's either it's either or. It has to be either or. Is faith or regeneration or regeneration or faith? Now, we can argue logically or logically or temporally, mm-hmm. right? And and that's where Andrew and I were really uh, going back and forth on this because they're, they're seeing, he was arguing there are scriptures that talk about faith, then regeneration, and regeneration is faith. And I, I was making arguments. We were spending time there in Romans, b- believe and confess, right? Mm-hmm. I, I believe that's the that's the, the word, believe and confess. And But I was arguing confession was not regeneration. Right. And I was using Ephesians, you know, you you who were dead, he made alive. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the quickening, yeah. or the or the raising from the dead of the heart. So I, I really think the the issue is, look, for example, when we say, and this is coming from Sproul again, that justification is by faith. We do not mean that faith occurs first and then we are justified at some later time. We believe at the very moment of faith is present, justification occurs. There is no time lapse between faith and justification. They occur simultaneously. And this was, was Andrew's his argument, yeah, that they occur. But, but when then we, why then do we say faith precedes justification? Faith precedes justification in a logical sense, not in a temporal sense. But this is the key, and this is where I would make the argument, and we'll make the same argument in just a moment about regeneration of faith. Justification is logically dependent on faith, not faith on justification. Right. So where does that bring us now with, uh, with that? We do not have faith because we are justified. We are justified because, because we, we have faith. faith. That's exactly right. And so this is what I was trying to argue with Andrew. And, 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 and again, you know, obviously my argument was not uh, very cogent in, in the sense because he and I, we debated this for, for two hours in a, in a and, drive. And, and let's just clarify, people. You know, you can debate and still get along with others. Well, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> uh, still up in the air at this point? Still, still up in, in the air. But no, um, no, Andrew and I, we love each other very much. And, and we have, uh, obviously, the flying demon baby. That uh, <laughs> is one of our ongoing, ongoing debates. Does uh, he have one, by the way? No, I don't think he does. That's a shame. We're going to send him one. At some I was, point I was hoping that he had uh, the one that that clung onto the ark <laughs> in his basement or something. Yeah, or in that big library. Yeah, that he has. Library, in that big library. Is he the one that sorts it? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm wondering how many books of his have disappeared from his library over the years as he's had visitors go. Yeah, uh, or, or that, or that flying demon baby's got to eat something. Yeah, yeah he's got to eat something, but. You know, Andrew's very gracious in that he's given me uh, many books, and one of which is sitting on my uh, bed table that you're jealous of. That what I do have. they believe? No, not what, what do they. we believe? No, 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 <laughs> not those two. No, the preacher's Bible. No, the preacher's Bible, right? I still have not seen that to this day. 
has, has not even been opened. <laughs> <laughs> what a waste. But um, so let's let's talk about really this is the argument that Andrew and I had. Similarly, when Reformed theology says regeneration precedes faith, it is speaking in terms of logical priority. Mm-hmm. And and that, that was my argument. I said logically. And and we went back and forth and you know, God is a God of logic. Yeah. I mean, isn't that what we argue with presuppositional mm-hmm. is that we, the very reason that we can think is because of God. Yep. Right. Cause God is a God of logic, not temporal priority. However, we cannot exercise faith, saving faith until we have been regenerated. So we say faith is dependent upon regeneration, not regeneration upon faith. So I agree with Andrew in that, it is simultaneous temporally, mm-hmm. right? Because God is outside of time. Right. But logically, when we make the argument, it becomes very problematic when we say faith precedes regeneration. Very problematic. Very problematic. Same way in justification. Yeah. We are justified by faith. So therefore, faith has to precede mm-hmm. justification. Just in the same way, our dead hearts have to be regenerated before there is faith. So we can argue it logically and differently temporally. And mm-hmm. I think that's that, that in so that's where the hang up in, is. And yeah, in, in, in a sense that Andrew is, in, is correct in his argument of, of it being simultaneous. Mm-hmm. Um, now, here's, here's the question that I will argue. When we, we talk about uh, in psychology, we talk about scientific versus clinical. Scientifically, we can make the argument of simultaneous. But it seems clinically I've seen regenerated people not have faith. And you're looking at one of them across <laughs> from a table, right? Yeah, so there, there, there's kind of two, two trains of thoughts on this. And, and I've heard people make this argument that, okay, if regeneration precedes faith and someone doesn't immediately place faith, you have someone regenerated walking around who is not saved. Not, not saved. <laughs> but on the other or hand... Or not justified. Right, not, not justified, justified would, be, would be better. Uh, right. I think a better argument. But you also have uh, faith preceding regeneration. You have people who are saved. Believers who are, with, are with, with regenerated. A, with a dead heart. Yeah. And, and that was, you know, a lot of the dispensational, and this is where Lordship Salvation, MacArthur's view of Lordship Salvation came in, to play because there were many, uh, many people who were arguing faith precedes regeneration and you had similar arguments. Um, so on on both sides, but, but how, how, if no one seeks God, no, Mm -hmm. not one, right. There are none righteous. There's none who seeks God. The things things of God. God. How in the world do you have people seeking, seeking and being (laughs) sincere about wanting to know and hear the gospels? Steve Ledwith. He, we talked about him last week. He uh, was wanting to know how to be saved, but it was only, you know, he, he began to read and study. And then one night he actually got down and repented. Right. So what about repentance? Since we, we, we talked about that, yeah. where does repentance come? You know, repentance, does repentance precede faith? Is does it re- simultaneous? Is it simultaneous? And this was the other argument that Andrew and I were arguing is repentance. Is repentance necessary for salvation? Or is repentance the result of salvation? Yeah, and you and I have had a lot of conversation on this as far as our usage and even even what we mean whenever we are telling people to repent. Because in one sense, we're looking at people, especially in an evangelistic way, we're looking at lost people saying, repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ when natural man cannot do that apart from the miraculous work of God. 
And, and, and look, what is repentance? We're, we're telling people to change their mind. Mm-hmm. Change your mind about the what you believe about God. Guess what? They're not going to change unless they are regenerated. Right. And here's the other part. Guess what? If they do, they were elect. Yeah, and you know, that's why I don't too much have a problem. And, and we're speaking about the, the regeneration preceding faith is, you know, you talk about Steve Ledwith, but I was, in, and, and understand that I am in no way claiming that my, my conversion to salvation is, is the standard by which we judge anything. Uh, it's, it's scriptural, uh, but you're talking about having lost people walking around who are regenerated as I was seeking answers to the questions I had as an atheist, the objections, and I was accepting the answers that I was receiving. And this was well before I was converted. It took me months of getting answers, seeking answers before I was finally converted. And people say, well, you were, you're, are you saying that you were regenerated, but you were walking around still lost? It was like, well, in the same sense as I've always been a sheep in the eyes of God. Right. So temporally, maybe. Yeah, exactly. But not logically. Right. <laughs> right. So I have no problem with that. Is And I mean, has has a sheep ever been a goat? I don't think so. Yeah. I mean, that's He laid down his life for the sheep. I, yeah. He doesn't say he laid down the life for the goats. And so my question is, can a goat become a sheep? And can a sheep, we would certainly not say a sheep can become a goat. No. We'd say he never was a sheep. Right. Matter of fact, he might have been a wolf. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we're going to talk about that uh, next week in our pre- uh, perseverance of the saints. Who's going to be talking with you about that? that is, it, is, are going, you, is somebody going to reject you next week again? Yeah, I, no, actually, I've, <laughs> had, I've had this one set up for a while. Um, it is going to be Daryl Updike of the What Are We Even Doing Here podcast. What is he even going to be doing on your podcast? He's, what are we even doing here talking about this perseverance of the saints? It's all predestined anyways. Man, he, and, he, and, he and his wife were such a blessing to me at the, at the uh, SufferCon. Um, I, I really, they were, they, they've been a blessing, uh, to me. I just want to sh- give a shout out to yeah. them. Yeah. And I enjoy their podcast too. I'm not sure yeah. if you listen to it. No, I have, I've been listening it, to it. It's, it's very nice. I know, listen to it more than this one. So, uh, but you're so. on the, but you're, you're, you're on more than 50% of the episodes here. So that's saying something. You know, I don't even know if my wife, she's standing across the room. I don't even think she, listens what is she to even this. doing here? Yeah. What are you even doing here? <laughs> she needs to go make us a sandwich. <laughs> You're, yeah, gonna, you're not going to edit that out. No, I'm not going to edit that out. And I'm going to leave this bit in here, too. We're getting a dead stare from across the room. We're actually in our fellowship hall right now recording the podcast. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this has been a great conversation. I've enjoyed this one. I like the doctrine of irresistible grace. It's irresistible to me. Um, so this is Resurrection Sunday, of course. We are about to go and have a great church service. Uh, not sure. You're preaching in John? Preaching out of John chapter 20. John chapter 20. We'll see how far I get. <laughs> well, uh, hopefully you get the entire chapter because Shelby set that up in the uh, in the PowerPoint. Yeah. <laughs> but ladies and gentlemen, uh, Easter Sunday, I uh, hope you all had a fantastic Resurrection Sunday. So just to kind of tie us off here is that pretty much where we're at right now is man is dead in their trespasses and in sin. God has unconditionally elected in eternity past who he would bring to saving faith. Jesus Christ in time went to the cross, suffered and died upon that, that Roman cross where he he became a ransom for many. He laid down his life for his sheep. And in time, God draws his people to himself, brings them to saving fate, giving them a new heart, a change of mind, and then holds them in his hands for all of eternity. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this is James Watkins with the Five Souls Podcast. I'm here with Frank Mullis again. I'm sure he'll be back in a few weeks. I don't know about what. I'm sure Andrew's going to have a conversation with both of us. Uh, so we might have to have a uh, three-way podcast here <laughs> in the coming weeks. But ladies and gentlemen, this is James Watkins with the Five Souls Podcast. Thank you for listening, and may all that you do be done to the glory of God.